If you uh, would stand up for me, we're going to do something different. And so in church, it's really awkward and the pastor makes you say things and, you know, talk to your neighbor. I'm not going to do any of that, okay? This is an individual exercise. So if you'll stand up for me. Now, here's what I want you to do. When you're standing and you're standing long enough, I already see some of you doing it, you cross your arms. So everybody just cross your arms. Naturally, don't think about it. Just cross your arms, all right? So pay attention to how you cross your arms. Now just drop your hands, okay? Drop them to your side. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to cross your arms again, but I want you to cross them opposite of what's natural, okay? So if you go under, now you got to go over, okay? So think about it. And the the first time I was doing this yesterday, I was like, I didn't know how to do it. It felt awkward because it was just like, is that how you're supposed to cross your arms? Like, this feels weird. So anybody else feel weird? Like, it's like backwards? Like, I don't feel like I'm right. Like, there's something wrong. All right, I have a seat. Now, if you have a middle schooler at home, this is how they feel all the time, okay? (laughs) Awkward, like they haven't figured out how life is working, and they don't know how to cross their arms, okay? This is the idea of change. It, it, It takes some mental effort to actually begin to change, A lot of us naturally just go through life, and there's habits, and we just do what we do, and we don't even know we're doing it. Um, Most of you, most likely, if you learned, you brushed your teeth without thinking about it this morning, and now you're like, oh, it smells like coffee, okay, maybe, I don't know if I brushed my teeth or coffee, I don't know. But most of us just have these habits that we do, and then when someone comes in and tries tries to change course or tries to do something different, it kind of makes us pause and think, like, okay, did I actually do that, or was it just natural? Who has ever left your house, maybe early in the morning or something on your way to work, and then you realized you were in the parking lot of work, and you don't even really know how you got there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. That's like cruise control. It's like, how did I get here? Like, you didn't even realize it, right? Um, the worst thing is, is when you do the same routine every day, and then one day you're supposed to do something different, and you still do that same thing. Um, I take my kids to school every day, and there's days that I, there's one or two that I don't, and I find myself at the school. And I'm like, ah, idiot. It's just, we get on autopilot, right? We just start going. And this is the, this is what happens. We don't have to teach anyone to create a habit, and we don't have to teach anyone to drift. Drifting is natural. Drifting is just something we do without thinking about it. Now, if you've been to the beach, my family and I love going to the beach. We love uh, sitting there. Christy and I are not like splash in the water people. We're like set a chair down, get a book, and we're just sitting there people. We don't do a lot of frolicking, you know. We don't do a lot of like burying yourself in the sand. I don't like getting sand places. I don't like that. So I just like to sit in the chair, listen to the waves, look at the sunset. Maybe there's a dolphin that swims by or a, a manta ray or something, or my kids bring out a jellyfish. I'm like, that's cool. And Max comes up and he starts waving, dude, back up, 10-foot rule. You got to stay back. We don't want that sand on us. But there's this thing at the beach that if you don't set boundaries and you're playing in the water, you may look up and you don't know where mom and dad are. Have you ever, I mean, I did this as a kid. I'd be out playing and I'd come running back up and I'd start talking to people that were not my family. I was like, where'd they go? They left me. No, they're down there because I drifted, right? Has anybody ever done that? Just me? Okay. There's something about it hypnotizes you. The water hypnotizes you, the waves, the, the undercurrent, and you, you don't realize that over time you just drifted away. And with Max, we, we have to tell him, look, there's these boundaries. Look at that building. If you go past that building, you need to come back. It doesn't matter. I'm sitting there reading my book, and I've got to keep my eye on him while I'm reading. And he's there, and I say, okay, if he steps a few more, few more, I can yell at him, and he'll still hear me. But then there's this one step that he no longer can hear me. Like, he's out of earshot, and now i got to get up, and those chairs are not that comfortable. You know, you, it's hard to get out of a chair at the beach. You're like, Bleh, throwing yourself down, trying to get up. And then you go and say, hey, Max, you, you got away from the, the area, remember? 
oh yeah, oh yeah. And then he comes back. It was no bad intentions. He just drifted away. And I think a lot of us in our lives, we drift and then we look up and we realize, oh, well, that's not where I want to be. How did I get here? What did I do? And then the process of change, awkward, crossing your arms, trying to figure out how you get back on track. Now, for some reason, I have this thing, and this is just me confessing my stuff, but I have this eating and diet issue. And it's been going on since I got married. I want to blame Christy because before I met her, like married her, I had no weight issues. But as soon as I married her, the first year of our marriage, she made a brownie, a pan of brownies every night. I'd come home from work, pan of brownies. And as a good husband, I sat down and ate the brownies, sometimes with ice cream and sometimes by themselves and sometimes half the pan or quarter pan or whole pan. I don't know. And then I looked a year later, 80 pounds heavier. I was like, whoa, uh, what happened? It was just a slow process towards brownie heaven, right? And so we, we drift and wait until, you know, exercise, weight, health, all that stuff, until something happens for us to be aware of it, we just kind of continue down the path and end up in the hospital with cardiac arrest, right? I mean, that's just the, what we do because until we come to be aware of it, we don't stop the process. I've got a friend that uh, is trying to get me to start um, running and exercising. And I've got a couple friends, actually. Now I need to be aware of it. There's a few people that are telling me this. I need to look in the mirror. Oh, that's why they're telling me that. Anyway, uh, I do a trip to the Rockies every year. And there's this kind of date that I have in my mind. It's like, if I, if I start working out here, I'll be fine at the Rockies. And then there's a couple years that I've missed the date, and I get to the Rockies, and I'm like, oh, it's miserable, right? It's the drift. It's the drift away from what is healthy and the drift away from what's right. And so it's not like we thought about it. It just kind of happens. So here, here's the main idea for today, and this is what we're going to tackle uh, this morning, which is the further away you get from God, the more your life is in trouble. Very simple. But the closer you get to God the more at home your soul feels. And so we're going to tackle that today, and through a story that Jesus told, it's a famous story, we're going to go through a Scripture, and we're actually going to look at how do I keep, how do I stay near to the Father? What do I do if I've drifted away? How do I get back into a relationship with God? And it's how do I get close to God and stay close to God? Because all of us have this tendency, it's a human thing, we drift. That's just what we do. And so if you've fallen away from God, you may ask yourself the question, how do I get back into this relationship with God? The scripture talks about all of us like sheep have gone astray. And if you've been around sheep or studied sheep, which most of us don't because I don't know if there's any sheep around here, they just wander. And if you don't put a fence around them or if you don't have a shepherd that keeps them there, they just go off. Well, it's bad because when we're co compared to a sheep, you're like, I'm not a sheep. And have you ever seen this? Is, I don't know why I'm saying this. But have you seen those goats that faint? Those are kind of, those are funny. Wah! It's like, and I think some of us are like that too. Like we step out of line and we think God's like, Wah! and then he's like, faint. That's not how it works, right? We just keep wandering. That's what God does. He lets us go. So have you ever asked yourself this question? Why don't I feel as close to God as I once felt? Like, I remember this time that I had this like intimate relationship with him and now it's not there. Like, I'm, I've prayed, and it just kind of doesn't go anywhere. I've, I've tried to ask God for, for direction, and I feel like nothing's happening. It's like something's disconnected, and it's, it's really about me. Like, I'm as close as I really want to be, and sometimes I think I want to be close, and I'm not even, I'm not even there. And, and we're going to look at this story. It's in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. A lot of people call it the story of the loving father. 
because it's really more about the father than it is about the son. And most of us act like the prodigal son. So we're going to talk about this relationship that the father had with the son, and this is the most radical thing about God and the way he looks at us. It's not about what we do that makes that relationship radical. It's about what he does. It's about what God does that makes the relationship radical. The story in Luke chapter 15, uh, Jesus starts the first part of the story talking about lost things. And he talks about a lost coin, and he talks about a lost sheep. And then he drives this kind of point home where he brings it into a human understanding. Because all of us have lost things. Um, now you can like attach a little disc to it and find it by beeping it or whatever. It's like we all have a tendency to lose things. And Jesus was like, yeah, we've lost a coin and we've lost a sheep. But now what about a person? Like, what if you're lost? What if you're the one? And so this is where Jesus is in Luke chapter 15. Let's go on verse 11. We're going to read through it. It's a, it's a longer portion. And then we're going to kind of pull out some principles from the passage. It says right here, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So this father, his father agreed and divided his wealth between his sons. Now, I... I don't know how this works today, but if you went to your dad and said, hey, dad, I mean, you're just hanging around too long. I need my inheritance now. You know that thing that I was waiting on? I just need it today. And then he says yes, and you're like, what? I mean, it's like, whoa, okay, sweet. That just doesn't seem like, like realistic, but this guy actually gave it to him. He didn't hold it back. And so a few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Now, think about this when it comes to drifting, because there is a time where you no longer hear the voice of the father. And he went to a distant land, because he didn't want to hear that. He didn't want to hear the calling of the father. He says, and there, was, uh, there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this time, the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Now, we've got to pause here in the story before we go on, because it's like he brings this idea of pigs in, and it's not, to us, it may not mean as much as a Jewish person in that day, but a pig was the actual worst of the worst. It was like oh, Jesus, why'd you bring a pig into the story? That was like, uh, you went too far in the story, you know? And if you, if you I've, I've said this before about myself, but there's like a time at night that my filter goes away, and then I'll say anything. And so it's like, I try to be home and in bed in my quiet, protected place where it's just Christy and me, and then it doesn't matter. She loves me no matter what I do. But if I'm out and I happen to say something, I'm like, I'm sorry. It's like, I just went too far, right? No, you haven't been with me late. Maybe my family has. That's about it. Okay, back to the story. Why pigs? Well, pigs were the worst, they were filthy, they were contaminated, and when you brought a pig into the story, it was actually a, a spiritual thing and a physical thing. If you've ever been around a pig farm, uh, my extended family uh, up in North Dakota, they have pig farms, and the first time I went as a little kid, it is a sour, stinky smell. It's really not pleasant. And these pigs, there's so many of them, and they eat this slop. They'll really eat anything you throw in there. And for this kid to ask for a job, and he said, hey, you can, you can work with my pigs. For him to actually be working with pigs, and actually the slop became good-looking, like it actually seemed appetizing, it pretty went, pretty went too far. Now, if you have kids or grandkids or nieces and nephews, it's kind of like remind you of like they like to talk dirty, and so they, they think of words they can say, like ooh, poop, and toot, and fart, and stuff like that. And so it's like Jesus is telling a story, 
And then he starts saying, well, yeah, I toot and fart and butt and stuff. You know, it's like, ah, okay, you went too far, Jesus. Are you talking about pigs? Okay. Well, he says right here when he finally came to his senses, like he was in the pig slop. He was surrounded by these pigs and the smell and the stench. And he's like, oh, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Like there's leftovers for the servants. And, and here I'm dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. I can just say that when you look at this part of the story, no matter how far you go, no matter how far you've wandered, no matter what you've been up to, the Father's always willing for you to come home. He always wants you to come home. And, and a lot of people think that we walk away from God and we lose this relationship, but no, this was a son that would never not be the son. Like, he couldn't lose it. And my dad and I, uh, he, he lives here in town. I didn't know that was going to happen, but now he lives in town. We get to see each other a lot. But even if we live in other countries, and even if our relationship is estranged, he's still my dad. There's nothing that I can do to sever that. Even if I say he's not, he still is. And this is the relationships here. You're still a child of God, no matter how far you wandered, no matter what junk you got yourself into. The Father's there, and he always is willing for you to come home. So it says right here, verse 20, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and then he condemned him. Nope. Look what he said. Filled with love and compassion, Jesus is telling the story, remember, and he says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. He, he just left the pigs and the slop, and the, he's covered in stench. And the father came and wrapped his arms around him and embraced him and, and really humiliated himself for the son. And he's kissing his neck with pig slop on it. Just, just put yourself in that picture. He had this little speech memorized, and so he's like, hey, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he kind of spits this out. But his father said to the servants, quick. Bring the finest robe. So, so he said to the servants, that means the servants followed this like scene, all right, of the father going out there. And he goes, hey, quick, grab the robe, the finest robe and bring it and put, on, put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the fatted calf, the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now is returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. <laughs> and then, it says right here, so the party began. Incredible, incredible insight into the coming home of a son that was lost. Now, this next section takes a turn that's unexpected. Remember, he's talking to Jewish people. Jesus is sharing this story, and, and this takes a turn that's wildly unexpected. He could have stopped the story here, and it would have been a great story. And he says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. So everybody was back. He didn't know his brother had come home, and he's out in the fields working. He says, When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, What's going on? Servants like, hey, your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you, and I've never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And all that time you've never given me even a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, not my brother, not my friend, not this part of our family, no, this son of yours comes back after squandering his money on prostitutes. How the heck did he know that? Did he have spies after him? I don't know. You celebrate by killing a fattened calf. 
This is really another sermon for another day. We'll probably come back to it in a few weeks, but my only advice is don't be the older brother. There's a tendency among our church, or among churches, not Bethel necessarily, but among churches to not only be excited when the person leaves, but then when they come back, be like, meh. Because our church, uh, really one of our missions is this place is for people that are not here yet. And we want to be ready at all times to welcome home anyone that would come in the doors. No matter where they've been, what they've done, what their life experience is, even no matter who they are. So don't be the older brother. Sometimes we think, ah, they, are, they get all the attention. But the greatest sign of love and closeness to God is forgiveness and restoration. And I'm not talking at all about abusive situations. I'm not talking about violence or trauma. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about simply like writing people out of our lives because, oh, they're, here, they're not here anymore. I'm going to write them off. We should always be a place of restoration and healing. Verse 31. But his father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So there's a few things that you can kind of draw from this story. Really, you know, if you want to wander from God, there's some things you can do. You can actually put into place. Here's something you can do. You could be self-centered. You could be impatient. You could be self-indulgent. You can be lax on the relationship with God. You can actually take God for granted. If you, if you do those things, man, you're just going to walk away and, and be as far from God as possible. And then when we wander away from God, when we make that decision, we're going to make bad decisions. We're going to end up where we thought we'd never be, and we're going to end up doing things we never thought we would do. We can see that very, very clearly in the story. So a person, really, in this story, we see someone that hit rock bottom, and he had to make a decision. Am I going to look up and get out, or am I going to stay right where I'm at? Am I going to stay with the pigs in the slop, or am I going to get out? And really, it could be anything. I mean, it could be anything in our lives. It doesn't have to be as graphic or as drastic as feeding pigs in slop. It could be simply my heart is cold, and it's turned off. It's gone. And I've made some bad decisions. I maybe have some relational problems. Maybe I've broken trust with someone and boom, I'm, I'm just gone. I feel like I'm just far from God as possible. So our soul actually feels out of place being a child of God. So surrounded by pigs, the sun is really a picture of hitting rock bottom. And there's five things that I see that he did. And if you find yourself in this situation, here's five principles. The first one there is in verse 17. It says, when he finally came to his senses. It's like he had this self-awareness moment. So the first thing is, come to your senses. Like, be aware of where you are really. Like, tell yourself the truth. Because we have a real way of manipulating ourselves to believe things that aren't true. And so the awareness is, where am I really? Like, where am I really? Am I drifting? Am I close as, as close as I can be? Or have I made some decisions that actually don't make sense? He says, come to your senses. When he finally came to his senses, I like the word finally there because people that were watching the situation were like, oh man, oh, you could stop there. No, 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 you could stop there. Oh, he's with the pigs. Oh, you can stop there. And finally, after who knows how long, he came to his senses. He kind of realized it. He was aware. And I'm wondering if you're there or if you've realized or, or maybe become aware of where you're headed or where you are. Here's the thing is God loves us so much that sometimes he'll send a little rain and a lot of us that works. We're like, whoops, I need to turn back. Some of us are a little harder, and so he'll send a little bit of a storm, and then some of us just get a full-blown hailstorm, and it's like, whoa, I better wake up. I better be aware of where I am. And why does God do this? Because some people think, oh, God's unloving. No, God actually loves us enough to send storms our way for us to turn back and look at him. 
to turn back to him because he loves us that much. God allows these storms to get our attention, and we need to be aware. We need to come to our senses. So this is the first step of a homecoming is actually coming to our senses. So the second thing is there in verse 17, it says, when he finally came to his senses, he realized that at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. And then he said right here, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. So the second thing is he actually owned his part. He's, he, he actually admitted it. He acknowledged it. And he said, oh, I've done something wrong. And so this is really hard because we could be aware of where we are, and then we realize we have to own it. Ah, now I'm going to blame somebody else about that one. I don't want that on me. Well, he actually admitted it. He goes, I have sinned against you and heaven. Nothing is going to happen until we come to this point of actual acknowledging our guilt in the matter. It's not shame, and it's not this idea of sitting in it. It's actually, hey, I actually need to admit where I am. I'm getting tired of things being out of control, and I have a lot to do with that. I've made some decisions to get there. I don't know if you've ever prayed and you're just like, I don't know where God is. I can't even hear him anymore. I, I don't know what he's trying to teach me. I don't know what he's trying to do. And really what God is doing is he's putting things in your life to make you aware and admit that I've made some steps away from him. And if you ever feel like God has moved or you feel like he's not there, guess who moved? It wasn't God. It was me. It was you. We moved. He's never left. Scripture actually says he'll never leave us or forsake us. There's a thing in Scripture that actually tells us what this is. Like, what is it that happens in our heart that shifts away and makes that barrier between me and God? It's not like a loss of being a son or a daughter, but there's some kind of something that separates, and it's that thing called sin. And when we begin to put something in front of God, it's actually called an idol, idolatry. It could be anything. So when we begin to put other things above God... It's called idolatry. So I'm as close to God as I want to be, and sometimes I just have to admit it. I have to admit it and acknowledge where I am. Here's what God doesn't do when I admit it. He doesn't rub it in. Actually, Scripture says he doesn't even keep, keep an account of it. He forgets it. That's pretty amazing. Over and over again in Scripture we see. Third thing, be humble. Be humble. Man, this is tough. Because I, I can be aware of where I am. I can even admit my shortcomings. But then I've got to be humble? Oh, that's really hard. It says, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. Do you see the shift in the language that he was using? We see the first part of the story. That he's like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. He's got his hand out. And he's like, hey, you just need to give me. And then he came, comes back this time and he's humble. And he's like, oh, just make me a servant. I'll, I'll do anything to be close. I'll do anything to be cared for. And there's really no significant change or transformation in our life until we humble, humble ourselves. So we see this progression. We see the awareness. We see the owning up to it, the, the actually admitting that I'm at, acknowledging it, and then humbling ourselves. The last thing is receiving the Father's grace. I love where it's in verse 24. He's like, for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. He had embraced him. He had kissed him. He had accepted him, and he actually received the Father's grace. The focus of the story was always the father. Like the, the focus was always the father giving, the father observing, the father having the space, the father letting him go, and then the father looking for him to come back. He, he was always the center part of the story. 
And if you notice it, it's, it's incredible because the father knew that someday he would come to his senses. He knew it. And so he was always on the lookout. And if you notice, he actually said he saw him far off. Why do, why do you think that was? Why, why do you think the father rushed out to him instead of waiting for the son to come all the way to where he was? Why do you think that was? Can you imagine the condemnation from the village, the condemnation from the brother, the condemnation from the servants on this guy that ran away from the father? Can you, can you just imagine how if they would have seen him and the father was inside and he's like, I'm coming to talk to, the, talk to my father. Oh no, dude, you walked away with everything. Your father's been crying. He's upset. You're not going to talk to him. Can you, can you just imagine the rejection? And yet the father was looking and he ran ahead. Scripture actually talks about in that time they wore these robes, and he, he would have had to like lift up his, his robes. He would have exposed himself. He would have made a scene, and all the people went and saw what was happening, and he fell on his son. Now, now just put yourself in this situation where Jesus Christ actually plays the role of the Father. He stepped into the slop of our mess. He ran to us, and he took on our shame and our stink and our stench, and he went all the way to the cross for us. The, the smell of our sin, the stench of our sins, actually transferred to him, and he took our spot. So me being humble, accepting that, and then accepting the grace of the Father, it's, a, it's an incredibly significant thing. And here's the implication. The implication is the Father was vulnerable, the father opened himself up to humiliation for the son. And then the party began. Here's the, the, the last thing, which is celebrate. So these are the steps, you know, come to your senses and own it and then be humble and then receives the father's grace. And the last thing is celebrate. Once we've been forgiven and once we've been welcomed home, Man, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that needs to happen inside us just to, just to get excited about it because when someone returns, when something that's lost is found, we shouldn't stay down in the dumps. We shouldn't be like, oh, you know, that's a praise God. And all. No, it's like, actually, thank God for this. And let's celebrate. Every time that people come in the church, I, there's something powerful about the embrace of everyone, like the acceptance of everyone. Bethel is a very loving and accepting place. And it's not just like, oh, yeah, praise Jesus. You know, during COVID, we had to back up a little bit, which was like loving. But it's like there's something about coming in, and maybe it's the only hug someone will get all week is when they come to church. There's a celebration that happens. You drink some coffee and get some biscuits and donuts, and it's a celebration, and that's something I love about Bethel. And, and there's something we do here as well, is that when we sing together, when we celebrate together, we're actually celebrating Jesus. We're celebrating one another. We're celebrating life change that happens all around us. We're celebrating our serving and our giving and our embrace, and we lift our hands and voice, voices together. There's something powerful about group celebration. There's study after study of people that sing together actually live longer. People that sing together, it lowers their blood pressure. People that sing together actually feel connected to a community. And so sometimes we come in, and in a moment of worship, we just stand there, and it's like, whatever. No, there's something powerful about together celebrating what Jesus has done. We're going to take a moment here in a second to sing about the blood of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. And there's something so powerful about uniting and making it about him and not about me. Here at Bethel, it's we exist to love and lead one another, to find and follow Jesus. And we're somebody in the story. We're the guy that ran away and came home. Or maybe we're the one that stayed and puts our hand up. And both of us can come home. Both of us are as close as we want to be.
the further you get from God, the more life is troubled. The closer you get to God, the more your soul feels at home. Let's pray. God, this morning we are grateful for Jesus. We know that if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for his blood, his, his life actually stepping into the chaos of humanity, stepping into the, even the chaos of the religious leaders and those that think they have it all together, and Jesus lovingly opening his arms and welcoming us home. God, this morning I know that you are interested in lost things. You're interested in things that are sick. You're interested in things that are even self-righteous that we would recognize and come home. We thank you so much, Jesus, for that blood. We thank you that today we can actually celebrate together what you've done for us, that we get to, as a body, as a family, get to lift your name high. God, my prayer this morning is that if there's someone that's seeking, there's someone that actually is coming to their senses, there's someone that's, that's wondering, why does God feel so far away, that today the Spirit would just draw them right in, that that tug on their heart would be real and they'd step right into a relationship with Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the blood that you applied to my life. Let's all stand together and worship.